name's Todd. This Woo. is Gabby. Welcome to another episode of Pop Culturing. Yay. Where we talk about pop, pop culturing from a ex, Gen X point of view. Is that what we do? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still figuring out that tagline. It's been a while. I think last pop culturing we did was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. December. And then uh, before that, it was like six months. So We took a pandemic break. <laughs> Just a, just a quick pandemic break. We decided to just watch the Americans and like go along with the the heaviness of the pandemic. Yes, um, but we are here. So um, I just figure a real kind of hopefully we do more pop culturings in 2021 than we I, did I 2020. Like yeah, and I feel like if there's a movie that we should that we can use to bring our listeners back to this format, yeah. I think Breakfast Club is the one that I find most, um, I don't know. I just feel like it's a generational film for us. Well, I think that, first of all, I I like that you said it's ours because I think it's a Gen X movie. I think a lot of other um, generations have loved it too. Um, you know what I remember with this movie is the first time I saw Pitch Perfect, mm-hmm. which came out, I don't know, a long time ago. Yep. And there's a scene where they watch The Breakfast Club and they watch it on like her computer, which now is normal. But at the time I was like, you can't watch this movie on a computer. You like need a big screen. You need like good sound. You need to hear the songs, you know? Like we have such an investment in this movie because this was 1984. I think. It was 1984. So it's 35 years, 36 years since it came out. Uh, well, it's 21 plus 16, that's 30, uh, 21, uh, what's 221? Let's do some fast math here. Mine is 84, 7, 11, 37 years old. Jeez. That's crazy. Jeez, I have, I was gonna, I thought, I thought it came out, it, it doesn't matter when it came out because it was basically either in the end of my middle school career, um, it came out in 85, Oh, really? February 1985. Uh, yeah, and I think the only reason I said 84 is because when uh, Andrew, Anthony uh-huh. Michael Hall's character, he says the date at the very beginning, uh, and, and I think that's 1984, but it didn't come They out filmed it. Yeah, so it came out the beginning in 1985. So we were, I was in middle school, the end of middle school, so we were, these were who we were going to become, these yes. people, right? And we could relate to their experience, even though we weren't quite... you know, 16, 17 or whatever they're supposed to be, we could relate to it. And it hadn't really been spoken. We hadn't really seen anything like this. So I'm going to give you your first set of trivia. Oh, can't wait. First, give me the uh, names and characters of the five personalities, the five stars. So it's harder than it sounds as far as first names, last names. Emilio Estevez. Plays who? It's Andy. Andy Clark. Andrew Clark. And how old is Emilio Estevez? He's 25 when he did this. 23. 23. Okay. okay. Um, and then Judd Nelson mm-hmm. played John Bender. How old was he? 25? Correct. Okay. I knew someone was 25. Molly Ringwald played Claire. I don't know Claire's last name. Standish. Yeah, I would know. Nobody knows Nobody that. knows that, right? right? So she plays Claire, and she was probably still 19 or 20, 18. 16 years old. Oh, my gosh. Her 17th birthday was only three days after the film's release. Oh, my gosh. Right? So then Andrew Michael Hall played Brian. Mm-hmm. I don't know Brian's last name. Johnson. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Johnson. Is your dad Mr. Rogers? No, Mr. No, Mr. Johnson. Mr. Johnson. Um, and he was probably 16. Correct. Um, and then Ali Sheedy plays Allison. 
Allison Reynolds. I wouldn't have known that. Nobody, nobody does. And I bet Ali Sheedy was, I'm going to just take a guess, 18? 23. Oh. So basically three old people in their 23 and up, and then uh, Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall were both 16. And they dated. And they dated. During this movie. During this movie. That's yes. exactly right. Nice job. Um, so you passed on your first trivia. Thank you. So um, do you remember watching this for the first time? I do. And you were in the theater? Yes. With your friends? Yes. Can you name one or two friends you were with? Um, I believe I was with Christy and Kelly. Okay. And did you know that you were walking into a special movie? Yes. Oh, you did? Um, I knew because it had been um, given a good um, sneak previews or at the movies. Mm -hmm. They had given it a good rating. They had said that it was a good movie. Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert? And, you know, this will not shock you, Todd, I liked talking movies. That does not surprise me whatsoever. And so to have teenagers be talking, kind of like it's a play... So like you're focused less on what they're, I mean, what they're wearing and everything makes a difference, but they're in the same. It's a dialogue driven movie. It's a dialogue driven movie. Same yes. setting the whole time. Yeah. You know, same outfit the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's more about what they say to each other and relate to each other. Yes. But I will tell you a, something interesting is, um, so I have three favorite movie beginnings. Oh, <laughs> I know two of them because we talked about this yesterday. Right, and the third one will make you go, what? Yes. So the first one is um, this one. Yeah, that, which and we just played for you all. We just did, and I, I said to Todd, please play the one that is the intro to the movie because it was one of the first times I had ever seen a movie, the song begin before the credits began. Right. So what that means is you see the universal like globe yep. and then they start the song and it just you're it just brings you in immediately and it's a great song. Yeah. And any song with a drum solo like that is like that's it you it's a great song. That's why I like Dr. It, Feelgood. It hits your heart. Correct. It hits your heart. And so the second one I think I'm about to play it. Okay, please. Oh, I'll rewind it. Okay. Oh, it's her. It's got to start from the very beginning. Is this the movie? I'm on YouTube, yeah. And it's, yeah, let me just mark this. Let me just mark that. Okay. Um, so it's just, this is as early as I can get it. So if you can get it better, that's how it starts. It's all right. Just start it there and then turn it up. This is actually from the movie, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's on YouTube. I don't know. That is too good. It's so good. Okay. Is that good? Yes. This is the moment you've waited for. What's that guy's name? Hugh Jackman. Yeah. Guy's talented. So greatest showman. And so real small bit of information there is, first of all, that movie came out the year I had the flu when I was like in bed for eight years. (laughs) I was actually only five weeks, but it felt like eight years. And my girls went to see that movie twice. 
okay? And they would come into my room and tell me about it. Yeah. And they'd be like, I'm going to go back and see The Greatest Showman. And I would cry because they'd be like, Mom, you'll love it. It's a musical. You'll love it. And I couldn't see it. Yeah. So I, and I'm not going to cry now because I've been crying a lot today and I don't want to <laughs> do it again. Um, but then when we finally got it, um, on Amazon on Prime Amazon. with our good speaker system yes, and everything. and that movie started, and I couldn't believe I was finally watching this movie. And again, let me be clear. It's not like it's my favorite movie. Yeah. I think it's good, but just the opening is so powerful, and I was like, I'm better. I'm watching this movie. I'm seeing it with my girls. It was like a It's all you circle. wanted when you were laying Ugh. down sick in bed. you like, I just want to feel good and watch this movie. And then and and to bring The Breakfast Club and and this movie together, The Greatest Showman, is it also opens yeah. with the song way before you see the credits. So you're watching, like, I can't remember who the, pro- the production company is, but you're watching, the song starts before anything. Yes. And so that's really powerful. <laughs> My last one, so we don't, you know, stay on this too long, is totally random. Um, but it's the same kind of situation, and I'm going to play it because you won't have this version of the song. You ready? I'm ready. Put it right up to your mic. Weird science? Yes. What? Yeah, it's coming in. Can you hear it? Yeah. So, do you remember what happens when, like, that song plays at the beginning of the movie? It's like a bunch of electricity or something. Okay, so he and Anthony Michael Hall, and what's the other kid's name? Wyatt. Wyatt. I can't stand Wyatt in that movie. Um, They are standing in the gym watching the girls that they like. Yeah. They're talking about how they want to be popular. They're talking about what they're going to do. They're watching the girls' gymnastics. Mm-hmm. Robert Downey Jr. and the other guy come up behind them and depants them. Yes. And then they just turn around and this song starts. Mm-hmm. And in like that just two-minute opening, you know exactly what the movie is. Yes. Like here's the here's the guys who are going to foil them. Here's the girls they're going to get. Here's what they want. And it was just great. And I think it was the same year as The Breakfast Club. I don't know. John Hughes was really on a... This is the beginning of Weird Science. Yeah. This is before they play the song. And this is them scanning up their legs. So yeah. beautiful. You know it, Gary. Gary. <laughs> Gary and Wyatt. It's Wyatt and Gary. They're like the Sonny and Crockett. <laughs> they even share the plot. We want to shower with them. Yeah. Because what do they do when they shower make their girl? Shower with Kelly LeBron. <laughs> shower with... So it's just a great opening where you're like excited to see this movie. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's my opening scenes. Okay, I'm going to let on. you kind of... Because I got so... I have no um, framework for how we want to address these 60 minutes or so. Okay, so let's discuss this before we get into this movie, because once we're in with this movie, we'll be deep into it. So this was basically the glory days of teen movies, right? Yes. So we, one thing, one way that Gen X was very blessed, and maybe it's why we've turned out the way that we have, however you want to describe us, is we had a teen movie insurgence. So we had Pretty in Pink in 86. That's John Hughes directed. Some Kind of Wonderful in 87. Yep. That's also a John Hughes John movie. Hughes, yep. Breakfast Club in 85. Weird Science in 85. 16 Candles in 84. Um, we had St. Elmo's Fire in 85. Say Anything in 89. The Sure Thing in 85. Did you like Class? 
No. Okay. I wouldn't call that one of my favorite movies. That was a little more Porky's to mm-hmm. me, but that was 83. Better Off Dead in 85. Stand By Me in 86. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you... It's not quite in the same genre. No. It makes me think of when I was a little kid, whereas the teenage movies is... I The whole point of Stand By Me is before puberty. It is, right. And all the movies that you just shared is pretty much post-puberty. Post. Eight, but what about Goonies? That's pre-puberty. Pre-puberty. That was 85. And and then we can get into Lost Boys and things kind of that were uh, out uh, the Outsiders eighty three. So we just grew up with all these great movies, and I feel like, and you can debate me on this, but I think The Breakfast Club, even though a lot of those are people's favorites, mm-hmm. tends to be number one for most people. Yeah, Would I was you say g- that. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Out of, so these are all John Hughes directed. Some kind of wonderful Ferris, Pretty in Pink, Weird oh, Science. Ferris, yeah. Weird Science, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles. If you could only have one of those movies, which one would you take? I think I would take The Breakfast Club. I think it would be The Breakfast Club, too. Because I With have, a close second of Ferris. Yeah, Ferris would be a close second to me. But and, the, and the weird thing is, is I have more history and quotes and experiences with 16 Candles, but it doesn't hold up. Mm-hmm. It's super not... Um, and there's even parts of this that don't hold correct. up that well, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But 16 Candles is blatantly not good at holding up through the generation. Totally. It's over the top. And I'm sorry, I'm going back to this, but we also had Less Than Zero, Dirty Dancing. We had, And then one of our favorites that nobody talks about is just one of the guys. Yes. Teen Wolf, Back to the Future. I mean, come on. Like, it was our life. Now, so- my question is, are there just as good movies coming out for our kids like, are they going to look back on 2000 and the, between 2018 and 2024 as like these really unbelievably important movies? Or are we just lucky to have been born when we were born? Well, I think that there was a, it stopped after, yeah. I don't know what was the movie that like pushed it to a new place. It's just, you know, culture changes, right? But I remember Clueless kind of brought and that was 1995, I think. So that was like 10 years later. Yeah. But Clueless, I was like, oh, teen movies yeah. again. Um, I feel like we talked about this a little when we talked about Pretty in Pink on the, yeah. you know, on pop, pop culturing. culturing. But, and then there was like Can't Hardly Wait. And then there was like, she's the- uh, American Pie. American Pie. And there was one called, I think there's one that they're redoing. She's all that. Mm-hmm. Like there were, I think people from those generations, and many of them listen to the show because they're like, you know, 10, 20 years younger than us, they would say those were their movies. There's just something a little more iconic about the John Hughes films. So I just named the six big ones of John Hughes directed movies. Now I'm going to move over to other John. So this is. This is just a quick aside about the importance of John Hughes. Correct. So we just named the big six, Some Kind of Wonderful Ferris, Pretty in Pink, Weird Science, Breakfast Club, 16 Candles. And that all came out like within a three or four year span. Correct. He must have been busy. You think? Um, But these are also John Hughes movies, either written or directed or both. Home Alone, Uncle Buck, all the Christmas, all the vacation movies, original European Christmas, Great Outdoors, She's Having a Baby, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Mr. Mom, and Curly Sue. It's unbelievable. Curly Sue was the last movie, right? I don't know. But I think that's when he signed off. Curly Sue, he's like, all right, I'm done. But can you name a more influential movie maker? Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I don't think I can. Not who's like, of course, people would battle us on, well, what about this? It won the Academy Award or the Godfather movies. Like somebody who could make a hit over and over and over again. Yes. She's having a baby. I love doesn't that get movie. a lot of recognition, and I love that movie. It's a great movie. I feel like that was taking our generation to like they were so young when they got married in that movie. Yeah. And she's having a baby. They're like 
right out of college. Yeah. So it was like moving us because I was 1988. So I was a junior in high school then. Um, but anyway, I just agree with you. I think that we were very lucky. And and John Hughes has an interesting history because he, for all that he did and, and so many stars that he created, he didn't have the best reputation in the no. world. And he was sometimes tough to work with, tough to work with and, and kind of, you know, possessive when you read about him, people say that he kind of was stunted in his teenage years. Yes. He acted like a teenager. You know, one of the stories that Molly Ringwald tells is that when she and uh, Anthony Michael Hall started dating during Breakfast Club, he was pissed off. Mm -hmm. He felt like she was somehow his, his property. Yeah. And so now he, she's never said that he did anything yeah. appropriate sexually, but there was this emotional connection that they had well, that and was he not got, appropriate. And he got mad when she wanted to start doing other movies. Correct. He yeah. he wanted her to stay his. As as the story's told. Like we who knows, but that's what that's what we've heard. That's what they say. And you know, I, it was interesting. I was kind of doing some reading too. And do you know the person that he worked with the most? Because everyone thinks Molly Ringwald. Mm. It was John Candy. Mm. He was in the majority of his movies. John Candy. I know. Yeah. He, he didn't because make it he in was in Home Alone. He was in Obviously, plane trains, automobiles, Uncle Buck, great outdoors. You're right. Vacation. He loved John Candy. Mm -hmm. Vacation. Mm -hmm. Good old John Candy. I know. So, I feel like now, if you want to go into the movie, that's kind of the uh, you know. Well, and the thing is, it was, it's this movie's kind of hard to encapsulate. It happens pretty much in one setting, the school, but mostly in the library, which it turns out was was built for the movie. It wasn't a real library. They built it um, in the gym of the high school, mm -hmm. I guess, which I did not know. But like, you know, when you talk about favorite quotes, favorite scenes, like, I don't know. I mean, I can't, I don't know if I can come up with like the whole movie. Like I'm going to play just some, some random sound bites to okay. the movie just to bring everybody back. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? How do you know where Vernon went? I don't. Well, then how do you know when he'll be back? I don't. Being bad feels pretty good. Huh? Chicks. And I hold this smoke. That's what it is. And I'm gonna kick the living shit out of you, man. I'm gonna knock your dick in the dirt. Eat my shorts. Relax. I'll get it. Grab some wood there, bub. How many times do I say grab some wood you there, bub? I say it all the time. Like, like on a I daily say basis. so many of these so often. And there's like 40 more that I'm not gonna play for you right now, but there's just the whole movie is one big movie line. I know. Well, and we, and it's been incorporated into our language yes. where sometimes people probably aren't even sure where we got it. Right. And I don't just mean us. I mean our generation. So one thing that is kind of fun, if we want to start from the very beginning is the, you and I talked about the cars that they, the parents drive. Yeah. So Claire's mom or dad. Dad. Excuse me. Starts out with the dad. Who is like very like coddling to her mm -hmm. and like, you know, here you, could, you go. And he chooses sides. Like he is manipulating Claire to get back at her her mom. Like there's like an unhealthy marriage vibe going well, on. Well, because he's trying to be supportive and she's rolling her eyes at him. So she know, she's basically like, don't act like you're there for me because you're not. Right. He's driving a BMW. Brian's mom is driving a Dodge Aries. And that's, do we know who plays those two, her, his mom and his sister? Who? His mom and his sister. Shut up. That's Anthony Michael Hall's mom <laughs> and Anthony Michael Hall's sister, I guess. When she goes, yeah. Yes. She goes, the mom is like, well, what does she say? You better figure out a way. Hold on. I'll get it. <laughs> okay. Let me see if I can find it. I'll have to clean this up a little bit. Here it is. 
Is this the first time or the last time we do this? The last. We'll get in there and use the time to your advantage. Well, we're not supposed to study. We just have to sit there and do nothing. Well, mister, you figure out a way to study. Yeah. 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 The good sister's like, I'm in on this. And best part of that scene, just to kind of bring you back to 80s culture, she's sitting in the middle. In the front seat. This was prior to seatbelts. Yeah, no baby seats, nothing nope. like that. I mean, she's an older kid, but yes, she's in the front seat. It's hilarious. Seatbelts became a law when I was a sophomore. And like I said, I was in eighth grade at this point. So it was not, you would just sit in the front seat. Yeah. So anyway, Dodge Aries. Andy's dad is driving a Ford Bronco, of course. Yep. Um, and then Allison's mom is driving a Cadillac Seville. So it, again, why these little things are so important for those of us who have seen it a million times is similar to what I was saying about weird science, how you get the whole movie at yeah. the very beginning. They're trying to say this is who these people are. And Bender. Oh, and Bender walks. Yes. Nobody's with Almost him. gets hit by the car. By the Cadillac. Yes. By Allison's mom. And, you know, just the way their parents talk to them, what their parents are wearing, um, what they say to them. You you get so much information Two minutes into the movie. And Allison gets out of her car and then leans in to want to say something to her mom, and her mom pulls away. Which is, not to give it away, not to give away the spoiler, but you guys have all seen it, you find out at the end of the movie that Allison just showed up because she had nothing better to do. So what'd she say to her mom? I have to just have detention? Yeah. Just drop me off? Who knows? You know, there's no discussion there. Gives you kind of an idea of that her parents really do... Um, you know, ignore her, right. as she says. They ignore me. Um, so... This is what I think about like overall Breakfast Club is I feel like this movie is the reason we hold it so close to our heart is because it's not a parody of teenagers. This is a take us seriously movie, like take each of us seriously, take our experiences seriously. And again, this movie... I'm just going to do 2021 real quick. It's very flawed and that there's not any diversity in it. A lot of the problems are very angsty. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not 2020 problems, that's for sure. Um, and so we can debate how it would never look this way um, now. If right. we redid this movie, it would be a lot more diverse. It'd be, you know, it wouldn't be so white. Yeah. Um, and the issues may be a little bigger than just they ignore me. Right. Well, and I'm trying to think like the most intense part of this, like, you know, Bender's getting his arm burnt by his dad's cigar. Right. That's right. like, pretty that's pretty heavy. And Brian had a flare gun mm -hmm. that apparently he was going to try to take his own life with. This is, is up for debate. Was he going to just, was it for him? Was he going to threaten the teacher? Was yeah. it, it doesn't seem like Brian's character would ever do that, but no. the whole thing is... Having a gun at school was not something we used to talk about. Right. People didn't, that didn't happen. Yeah. So it was, you know, now hearing it, it's be, it, it sounds very familiar. Yeah. So, so their issues are, you know, Claire's like, whatever, she's popular and, you know, she lives from the outside in and Andrew's just connected to wrestling, like very normal, typical stuff. So the only two that I think are really kind of heavier are Brian's and Bender's. And I think that, that's what made it so interesting is because if we're all going to tell the truth about our lives, a lot of things that we struggled with the most, even when we have those things on the surface that are hard, are those underlying issues of people don't get me. Yeah. I don't feel worthy. Yeah. I don't feel seen. That's why it kind of relates so well. That's why it's a good pop culture sure. for you and I, because what are they saying? Like, 
you know, Claire is saying, I never want to be like them. They use me. You know, Andy's saying, my dad wants me to be like him. He wants me to fulfill his dreams. Allison is saying, nobody sees me at all. Bender is obvious. Nobody's taking care of him. And, um, you know, it, they, they're all feeling unseen. Yeah. And on, and so that's what I feel like the movie is about is how we play into, you know, it's like we recreate what other people are demonstrating for us. Like they're all, um, you know, they're all these stereotypes and they're fitting into their roles and they feel like they can't break those roles and they feel like the only way to survive is to be what other people think they should be. Well, when they walk in that door, I think he, Brian even, he's the narrator right. <clears throat> of the movie. And they see each other as this persona or right. this role. So what are the five roles? Um, jock, um, princess, uh, criminal, um, basket case, and um, brain. Yeah, right. So the whole idea is that's how they saw each other when they walked in. Like, mm -hmm. oh, there's the basket case and mm -hmm. there's the jock. And then hopefully by the end of the movie, they are able to disrobe those personas and see them for actual human beings that, that they're having the same experiences like one of my favorite moments and it's just a, it's just one second but it gives bender some humanity is when he says to andy i think your dad and my dad should, should go get out, together and go, go bowling. bowling and it's a moment of connection mm. where what john is seeing is that you're looking at andrew clark and thinking he's got everything and really his dad may not be as overtly abusive right. putting cigars out in his arm yep. but there's a coercive abusiveness where andy feels stuck and unable to make his own choices right that's a great scene too when they ask andy you know why what you know what do you struggle with and he doesn't say anything and then allison says he can't think for himself right she goes he, yeah, she's right she totally nails him yeah. so this is andrew talking a little bit you know sometimes i wish my knee would give and i wouldn't be able to wrestle anymore he could forget all about me. I think your old man and my old man should get together and go bowling. So that's, uh, so the one thing I just read, and I think this kind of goes without saying, but how many of the five of them cry during this movie? Claire. One. Allison. Two. Brian. Three. The only one who doesn't is John. That's right. Yeah. So they all kind of... It's funny, like he almost so like that is probably Bender's most vulnerable moment is when Correct. he's like, "Let's your old man and my old man should go bowling." Because that quote says, "I heard you, yeah, I get you, and I can relate to you." Yeah, and it's and it's one of those moments of levity that you need. That whole scene of them in the library talking and sharing is, as again, it's built like a play. You know, there's a lot of you know just dialogue back and forth, and you need moments because it gets intense. Yeah, I remember when I saw this movie, I don't know, how, how old were we? I was sixth grade, you were seventh grade, I is that right? Seventh or eighth, I can't remember. And I just remember that that scene was just very different than any other movie scene I'd ever seen with kids. It's like mm -hmm. they're having honest conversations. Correct. So like, what's the reality of five people who don't know each other when they show up that morning? I guess they smoke weed, so they get soft and vulnerable. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember being like, wow, this is just really interesting. And it's like just honest connection. Well, see, I think that that's why it's perfect. I, I don't know how you do it if you recreated this because the reason that they do is because they don't have phones yep. and because they have nothing to do. So boredom for forces them 
to be together. Yeah. Boredom forces them to talk to each other. And the time, they, they have eight hours in there. It's a long time. So they can't just be like, I'm going to read my book or whatever. They don't have a choice but to be thrown together. And and I'm not saying kids don't do that now. I know... They're, they're less likely to be bored now because of the device that we have in our pockets. Correct. So this, the reason it feels a little dated is because... This sh- movie would not work. Mm-mm. Right now. Unless their phones were taken. Unless their phones were mm-hmm. taken away. Mm-hmm. So that's the only way this movie would work. Because mm-hmm. otherwise everybody would be sneaking phones exactly. and playing games. Texting and, with their friends. Right. They would have the connection that they needed so they wouldn't need to connect with each other. Yeah. Even though it's a false connection online. Yeah, let me be clear. I'm not demonizing our children. Like, they live in a different it's world a different time. than we did. Mm-hmm. So I'm not blaming the kids. I'm blaming our world. But don't you remember when you would have experiences like you'd go on a... a field trip or like a weekend with classmates or you would um, be at a like a, maybe a church camp thing mm-hmm. or just a camp. It yeah. wouldn't have to be church. And you would bond with people who weren't like you. Sure. Don't you remember those experiences where you're like, this is so great. Yeah, rich. And then you would go back to school and no one would talk to each other. Mm-hmm. Or you have best friends on your block that you play with and that you hang out with. And then you go to school and they're not your best friends at school. Right. And so these are all really interesting, um, you know, and and the question is like Breakfast Club is kind of wrapped up in a perfect kind of romantic comedy way, right. meaning it's not even a comedy necessarily, but like romantic way where, um, you know, four out of the five get together. Right. And, you know, the question that everybody asked was, would these couples really stay together? Mm -hmm. Well, Claire and Bender, of course not. No, not a lot of, not a solid foundation. And I know Molly Ringwald and uh, Ali Sheedy both took exception because Bender's not nice to Molly. Correct. And the only time Andrew, Emilio Estevez's character, is interested is when she gets her hair out of her face and puts some makeup on. Well, he kind of is staring at her before that. Remember, she's like, what? Mm-hmm. And so you kind of know that because they've had a few deep talks yeah. and he has appreciated everything she's said. Yeah. You know, like when she says, when she's talking about she's lying about being an infomaniac. And yeah. then she said, but I would have sex if you were in love and... He kind of smiles like there's a lot in this movie of um, and by the way, I didn't come up with this. I was listening to this is from a long time ago because the rewatchables uh, did a um, podcast about this. But they were talking about that. What makes this movie is the cutaways and seeing other people's face react to what people say. That's how you learn who these people are. Mm -hmm. So it's like when Bender is making fun of Brian and doing the, you know, PB and J with the crust cut off thing. Yeah. They cut to Andy and he's laughing. And then he looks at Brian and and then he goes kind of dark. Yeah. Kind of like, this isn't funny anymore. Because what you're reading into is number one, he realizes someone's getting hurt. Number two, that's what he did. Yeah. That's what he did the Larry Lester thing. Yeah. Um, and so, but those cutaways or the cutaway when Bender's being hard on Andy, or excuse me, yeah, Bender's being hard on Andy, and they cut away to Molly Ringwald, and she kind of likes it. Mm -hmm. She kind of likes that Andy's getting taken to task. So you start to kind of learn where everybody is with everything by just the edits. Don't you think that Claire, Molly Ringwald, and Emilio Estevez characters are the most, you know, for you know, this is going to sound awful, but as far as the social ladder, correct, they're the most popular. They're the most popular. Who and then. Would the criminal be below them and then the nerd? 
the brain and then the basket case would I, be last? I think it depends. I think like there's a point when Brian aligns himself with Allison. Mm-hmm. She, remember when he's crying and he says, I guess Allison and I are different, are, you know, are, are better people or whatever because I think we it's would right never. Here. Okay. It's a Monday. I know it's kind of a weird time, but I was just wondering um, what is going to happen to us on Monday when we're all together again. I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? No. So on Monday, what happens? Are we still friends, you mean? We're friends now, that is? You want the truth? Yeah, I want the truth. I don't think so. With all of us or just John? With all of you. That's a real nice attitude, Claire. Oh, be honest, Andy. If Brian came walking up to you in the hall on Monday, what would you do? I mean, picture this. You're there with all the sports. So I'll stop there. Part of me likes the fact that Claire's actually being honest. Mm-hmm. I think Andrew, I think Emilio Estevez's character... is trying to appease Brian. He's trying to appease Brian mm-hmm. and not tell him the truth. Correct. And as adults... Okay, see, we're lucky that we saw this movie when we did, because when we heard that at the age we were, we got it. We yeah. understood what she was saying, even though, as, as Brian's about to say... You know, you're so conceited, Claire. Yeah. You know, like, why are you like that? Yeah. You know, and he, because she basically, because he says, Allison and I would never do that to you. And she says, but you would need to because your friends look up to us. Yes. And while there's way too much honesty in there, it is honest. But as an adult looking at that, you would be like, just be nice to people, mm-hmm. right? Don't we do that to our kids? Sure. Be nice to everybody. And that's not the way it works in school it's, and in your social circles. It's very difficult. Now, we can debate whether that's changing yeah. and that there's openings. Like, I really do believe that the teenagers of today are less guided by that than we were. Sure. Like, I think we have made... They have a they have a little bit more perspective on, I don't know, we're just cruel. And I know kids are still cruel. Sure, of course. But I think they're less cruel. Well... Maybe I'm wrong. Let me use this. And again, I'm going to d- dip into Zen Parenting Radio for a second, but Todd and I did two or three shows on Zen Parenting Radio, um, one of them called Why We Grow, and then one of them called Our Many Colors. And it was about how we are progressing, yeah. how we are, our generations are growing and becoming more evolved and open-minded. And, you know, we it's dictated through colors like green and yellow, yeah. like just more expansive. And I believe the kids these days do have more of that, that inside of them to be more open. But Within underneath all that is still these social structures sure. that where kids fall into line, depending on where they think they are mm. and um, whether or not they feel like they're valued, even if it's getting better, it's still high school because that's what that's what happens in high school. That's what you figure out is yeah. who am I? It's, that's your training ground. That's your training ground. And it can be brutal. You know, yeah. so but it's interesting. I want to on that note, because he says you're so conceited, Claire. And kind of goes into that, and she said, you know, and she and she says, I, you don't understand the pressure I'm I under. I think this is it. Ah, good. Okay, then I assume Alice and I are better people than you guys, huh? Us weirdos. Did you, would you do that to me? I don't have any friends. <laughs> 
Well, she did. No. And I think the kind of friends I'd have wouldn't mind. I just want to tell each of you that I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't and I will not. I think Brian just nailed it. I think Allison and Brian are better people at this moment mm-hmm. than the other three. And by the way, I was the jock mm-hmm. in this movie. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you know, I'm not proud of it, but you know, I wrestled in high school and I, I was aware of the social ladder and I was not at the most popular and I was not at the least popular, but yeah, I looked down on the kids who were on the lowest social, you know, rung. Mm -hmm. And I looked up to the ones who were popular. Mm -hmm. What's funny is the two people that are probably most likely to succeed in this movie are Allison and Brian. Correct. Isn't that weird? Absolutely. Well, no. I I mean, mean, it's not weird. That's what happens all the time. That's what, you know, the Bill Gates of the world, you know, the ones, the nerds who are overlooked and everybody makes fun of them are the ones that change the world. Right. You know, so no, I don't think that that's crazy at all. And Allison, I just can, you can just see her being an artist or a poet or somebody that becomes famous. Well, and somebody who lives from the inside out versus the outside in. And this is where it gets really difficult because the thing is, is what in life, why what Claire has to say about you don't understand the pressure. I, it's not that I'm. It's not that I side with her and necessarily agree that her pressure is greater than Brian's or John Bender's for that sake, for that you know. But it's King of the Hill, and when you are on top of King of the Hill, is when you're most afraid mm-hmm. because you're going to lose it. And if you lose it, who will you be? But what about Brian? Because I think because I don't know. I can't go back in time and remember what I was feeling in that moment. But when when Molly Ringwald says your friends look up to us, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like she's got it. And then he tells her to fuck off. Right. And it's because of the amount of pressure that he puts on himself to get into a certain college. So like they're both enduring the amount of, Mm -hmm. and and he might even be under more pressure. She has social pressure. Yes. And he, to be a certain way, to look a certain way, to act a certain way and to stay on top. Yeah. And then he has the educational pressure pressure and get in the good school yeah. and make your parents proud pressure. And and we don't need to it we don't need to decide which one's worse. They're just both pressure. And so she though the thing that I always struggled with and I think we talked about this in Pretty in Pink and maybe some other 80s movies we've done on pop culturing is popular kids become very one dimensional, mm-hmm. which is that they are popular and mean. Yep. And that is not what you know Anybody who went to high school knows that that's not always the case, sure. that there you can be um, well-liked and also be a kind person. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, and that was very 80s. Like, let's talk Karate Kid because, you know, Cobra Kai is back and is doing such a good job with an 80s movie, you know, kind of turning it on its head. Like, Johnny Lawrence is bad um, and Daniel is good. Mm-hmm. And that's the way of things. Right. You don't question it. The reason that karate or that Cobra Kai is so good is because it's like, was Daniel the good right. guy? Was Johnny that bad? And they're making them three-dimensional, five-dimensional. You see things from all these different angles where in the 80s it's like popular, mean, criminal, you know, bad. Well, and I'll give you another one. Ferris Bueller. Correct. He was popular and nice. Correct. Right? Correct. That's why we loved him. Like, oh, usually the popular kids, yeah. like, you know, they had Everybody loved him. And you know what? He wasn't an athlete. Mrs. Poole, I call her Mrs. Poole because she's from the Hogan family, whatever her name is. She lists all the different types of uh, whatever 
groups that in high school him. that mm-hmm. love him, and he's loved by all, and he's not a dick. Well, he is. Ferris is kind of an asshole. To, to, Cameron. to Cameron. Yeah, and to his parents and to his sister. No, no, he's nice to his parents and his... He lies to his parents. Makes yeah, but them he's nice to like him idiots. while he's lying. I know, but... I guess my point is, is you and I have discussed Ferris Bueller. We haven't. Have we done Ferris Bueller no. in pop culture? But the star of Ferris Bueller is Cameron. Yeah. Well, he's the most interesting. He's the one who grows. Yeah. Ferris does not grow. Ferris is, when I say Ferris is, when I, I'm, you know, this is a mature audience, right? When I say he's an asshole, I love Ferris Bueller's day off and I love Ferris and I love, he makes me laugh. I'm not trying to throw him under the bus, but he's totally making people do things for him. And Jeannie gets the shaft all the time, his sister, and his parents look like idiots because they believe him. And he's lying to people at the restaurant. He's lying to... He's... He's... He's not like... He doesn't have this sinister element to him. No, he doesn't. And And that's why we can watch it. Yes, yes. So I love Ferris, but just kind of, if we're going to talk about being three-dimensional versus one-dimensional, Ferris, Cameron... Is the guy that yeah. I'm like, you're right. interesting. Yeah. Right. Well, we'll have to talk about that when we do Ferris. Okay. So anyway, so Claire's entitlement, I, I just wrote Claire's entitlement because they even make it so obvious. She walks in and sits down and the first thing she says is, excuse me, I don't think I'm supposed to be in here. Yeah. Like, where do you think you're supposed to be? Yeah. She's above everybody else. Correct. And yeah. she has sushi and blah, blah, blah. Now, what did you think about John Bender's gray hair in the front? Like, he has that gray streak of hair. Do you ever notice that? No, I've never noticed that. There are points, and you can tell they filmed this movie over the course of many days because he doesn't always have it, but it's like he's got this white streak of hair that, to me, looks gray. Hmm. I'm trying to pull it up, and I I believe you, but I can't see it. It always bothered me because I'm like, do blonde or yeah. do something that doesn't make him look 25. Yeah. If that's indeed Yeah, I didn't even notice it. Okay. So it that kind of always bothered me in his uh, Chachi Arcola bandana on his shoe. Yeah, and he's just he like he like rattles when he walks. He's got like chains and belts and, and five coats. Bandanas, he's got five coats on, <laughs> flannel shirts, t-shirts, jean jackets. I know you know he's sweating under all that. I don't know. He was a uh, what do you what's it called when you don't break character? Through the filming? He was doing, um, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I can't remember. He was like being that person yes. the whole time on set. He was a jerk. I know. And people, fellow actors were not happy about that. I know. And who would be? Like who, there's other actors who do that. Uh, Pacino does that. A lot of them do. Method. Method. That's it. Method acting. Yeah. Um, okay. So before I like launch into other things, what are some other questions? What are some of our other categories here? Um... You know, what no longer works. Like, what doesn't age well? Rape culture. Right? Yeah, he puts his face in her crotch. He goes through this whole description of what a guy would do to her. Yeah. Um, you know, the, you know, he, he forces her to talk about whether or not she's a virgin. Yeah. Um, he, and when I say forces her, he makes it an issue that everybody is listening to. Yeah. Um, he, so yeah, I mean, the worst scene is where he's under the table. For sure. And that's, that's, it, that is, that's rape culture. For sure. That, and then he says, I couldn't help it. Doesn't he say something like, yeah, he says something stupid. Yeah. Um, what else is I going to say? Um, I might get, come back to that topic, but the one, you know, I wrestled in high school, but the one scene that all my wrestling fan, my wrestling buddies didn't buy. And you know what I'm about to say, don't you? When Andy takes him down? No. When he takes Bender no, down? No, that's fine. The food. His lunch. He has a meet this Saturday. Did you see what the bag said? 
Happy Foods. It says Happy Foods. Yeah, my brother and sister used to work at a Happy Foods. Very Chicago. Um, he busts out like 11 different things. Uh-huh. And if he really has a meet coming up, even if it's a week from now, there's no way that he's going to eat that much food. He wouldn't food. make weight. Because when you're wrestling in high school, at least the way me and all my friends and everybody we wrestled against did it, is you didn't really eat that much. Right. And, you know, Emilio Estevez is a normal looking guy, but he does not have a wrestling body. He has much too much body fat on his, you know, when... He's not lean. When we wrestled, we looked like skeletons. You did. It was just bad. Yes. My mom would just be horrified for me. She's like, what's going on with you? So yeah, that's one thing I don't like about the movie. Like he... John Hughes got that wrong. Well, that lunch, and again, because I obviously didn't wrestle, but all my guy friends did, it was big in my uh, hometown, is that would be what he would eat after his match. Because my guy friends would bring the coolers for once they were done, they would eat for like two hours. So, But he like pulls out a bag of cookies Mm -hmm. and then the apple and the orange and then he goes back in. Yeah, Yeah, it was ridiculous. And then the other thing is they would have gotten busted for smoking weed in the library. So, like, I don't buy that either. This on this viewing, my big thought was now that we have a better understanding of marijuana and everything, it's like Andy got a different pot. Like they're all chilling, mm-hmm. and he's smoking in a room by himself, and he kind of does a whole footloose routine. Yeah, like it's like he got like speed. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean. He reacted to the weed a lot differently than everybody else. Everybody else is chilling, and Correct. he's not. And that though John Hughes's apparently biggest regret of the whole movie. It was when he screams in the room. Oh, and breaks the glass. And breaks the glass. Yeah. Just because it's like, are we dealing with reality here? Or what? Well, and it's one thing, like, I know that we're supposed to assume that Vernon, who we haven't really talked about much, that he and Carl are still in the basement yeah. having a conversation. Right. But the fact that Vernon would have heard the door close and then when Bender's running down the hall singing the Air Force Ranger song, that he heard that, but that he's not going to hear yeah. the crying and the, the you know, the music, because they crank the music. Yeah. Um, speaking of lunch, we just talked about Andrews. Uh, he had a bag of chips, chocolate cookies, three sandwiches, milk, a banana, and an apple. Claire had... Sushi. And Allison had... She had a pimento loaf sandwich, but then she threw the pimento um, meat... What's pimento? It's like it's like meat... Like pan- It's like a bologna kind of like meat. Like spam? With... Well, it's like bologna, I think. Okay. And then they would put um, pimentos or like olives in it. Okay. Do you remember yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was like she the, throws that away, and what does she replace that away, it with? And then she puts, um, she has the two pieces of bread, and then she takes like the swizzle sticks that are full of sugar, pixie sticks, pixie and, sticks, and then she puts Captain Crunch. And then what does Bender have? Um, he eats everybody else's food. Yeah, he doesn't have anything. And what does Brian have? He has soup, PB and J with the crust cut off. And, and a, apple juice. And an apple juice. Very good, sweetie. I wa- we wa- we just watched it the other night. I fell asleep, so I didn't watch that part. Um, and then what are the reasons why everybody's in detention? Um, this is my trivia section. So Claire is there because she went shopping. She skipped school to go shopping. Yep. Um, Andy's there because he taped Larry Lester's buns together. Yep. Brian's there because of the flare gun. Yep. Allison's there because she didn't have anything better to do. Yep. And I think with Bender... You just assume that he's there a lot. Pulled a false alarm. That's right. The fire alarm. Yes. He says that. That's right. Uh, Good job. So that's the end of my trivia. I have a bunch of, oh, those are my questions, but I have a bunch of other trivia that I can talk about at at the end. And then he has to come back for two months. You get the- That's right. I love how Andrew, or no, Andrew, Brian was keeping track. And he's like, I'm sorry, sir. It was seven. Yeah. That's one of my favorite parts, actually. 
I remember being like, dude, what? Well, and she, and she even says, uh, Claire even says, stop. Yeah. You mess with the bull, you get the horns. Don't mess with the bull, young man, you'll get the horns. Um, I want to see if I can find that scene. While you're looking for it, can I make another like interesting, something that I noticed on this viewing? Sure. So as many of you may know, we were talking about John Hughes. He was a Chicagoan and he never moved to LA. He stayed in Chicago and all of his movies were based in Chicago. You know, he always used, um, you know, Chicago based high schools. Yep. Um, and this high school, Shermer, which is what it's called in the movie was in Des Plaines. Mm-hmm. And so that's North. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are two or three scenes in this movie where there's White Sox stuff hmm. everywhere. And Sweetie, like, there's there's some Northside White Sox fans. I know you're one of them. Yeah. But it's not typical. Typical. Yeah. Like if you're in display, that's Cubstown. That's Cubstown. Yeah. And so I just thought, why why is he wearing a White Sox shirt? I don't know. Um. Eat my shorts. You just bought yourself another Saturday, mister. Oh, crushed. You just bought one more right there. Well, I'm free the Saturday after that. Beyond that, I'm going to have to check my calendar. Good. Because it's going to be filled. We'll keep going. You want another one? Say the word. Just say the word. Instead of going to prison, you'll come here. Are you through? No. I'm doing society a favor. So? That's another one right now. I've got you for the rest of your natural born life. If you don't watch your step, you want another one? Yes. yes. You got it. You got another one right there. That's another one, pal. Cut it out. You through? Not even close, bud. Good. You got one more right there. You really think I give a shit? Another. You through? How many is that? That's seven, including the one when we first came <laughs> in. You asked Mr. Vernon here whether Barry Mandelon knew that he raided his closet. Now it's eight. You stay out of it. Excuse me, sir. It's seven. Shut up, Pee Wee. <laughs> the best part about that is no so, so yes yes um yeah. those are and and you are so annoyed at him because this is it's a self-fulfilling prophecy for him this is who i am this is what i do um he can't stop himself because it's him against the world and um and so let's have a vernon discussion here yes so vernon paul gleason um, who is also in Trading Places and Die Hard, yes. one of our favorite movies. We have to do a Die Hard. Mm-hmm. We've seen it like twice in every, the last year. Every Christmas, every Christmas, because it. it is a Christmas movie. movie. That's right. <laughs> um, is that he is again? I think a bit one-dimensional mm-hmm. in that teachers are bad, adults are mean. Right, right, right. But there is a truth to the idea that he has no idea how kids think. Yeah. He has no idea how, how kids feel. Um, teachers who are, and I'm saying this, I, I'm a teacher. Uh, my whole family's teachers. Um, my niece is now a teacher. She's bringing, you know, she's doing the teachery thing too. My aunt's a principal. So I've met a lot of amazing teachers in my life, but I've also met and had teachers who just want to win. Yeah. They just want control. And they, he, he, did talk about you know this? I'll bring in a Zen parenting thought. Talk about be going into child, mm-hmm. like when Vernon is threatening Bender and needing to, like when he gets him in that closet yeah. and starts saying that he's gonna like kick the shit out of him. Yeah. And that scene, um, I, I think we talked about this when we talked about Stand by Me because we did a Stand by Me pop culturing. One of the best scenes of Stand by Me is when Chris is telling Gordy 
Is that right? Yeah. The story of the teacher who stole the money, but mm. then let Chris stole take the, milk the fall. Money, yeah. yeah, and he let Chris take, and then Chris, most powerful scene of the movie, says, "I just never thought a teacher would do that." Yeah. And that scene in the closet for Bender, who has been pushing, you know, Vernon's buttons all these years, I think he's shocked that Vernon's like. No, I'm going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. I hate you. This is not a game of you're the kid, I'm the teacher. We're both men. But but this is the thing. Bender's not. He's still a kid. He's still a kid, and he's a frightened little boy in exactly. the scene. Exactly. And that Vernon... And they've forgotten all about you, and you're wrapped up in your own pathetic life. I'm going to be there. That's right. And I'm going to kick the living shit out of you. I'm going to knock your dick in the dirt. You threatening me? What are you going to do about it? You think anybody's going to believe you? You think anybody is going to take your word over mine? I'm a man of respect around here. They love me around here. I'm a swell guy. He's a swell guy, sweetie. And even that, I bet if you were to ask some of his colleagues, including Carl, do you love Vernon? They'd be like, no, he's a joke. Vernon is probably not well-liked by anybody in that school. So, and it's interesting because I just told Todd this story the other day, and it was not about the breakfast club, but I was reminiscing. Oh, we were taking down the Christmas tree. And one of the ornaments said, you know, the best teachers teach um, from the heart, not from the books. Mm -hmm. And I showed it to Todd, and I said, you know where I got this ornament? I got this from the man that I student taught for. So when I was a senior in college, obviously I had to do student teaching because I got my degree in education. And this man that I taught for, he was so excited that I was going to be his student teacher, so excited that the first day I was there, he's like, yeah, I'm leaving now. I'm I'm basically the vice principal, so you're in charge. So the majority... I would say 90% of my student teaching was me doing it by myself, yeah. like running a fifth grade classroom. Not much by of mentorship happening. Not a lot of mentorship. And eventually, or sometimes I'd have to go in the office and drop things off, and he'd be there sitting in the principal's office and they'd be talking. He was working, sweetie. And it was so like watching Vernon reminds me so much of that like person who's like, sorry, yep. I'm, in, I'm too busy, I'm too important. And they think they're busy and important, but really, you know, you know Vernon doesn't feel good about himself. Yeah. And the famous quote that he has when he and Carl are talking is he said, these kids, mm. what does he say? These kids changed on me. These kids. Uh, these kids, something like betrayed me or something yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. Maybe this is it. I'm not sure. Listen, Vern, if you were 16, what would you think of you, huh? Yeah. Hey, Carl, you think I give one rat's ass what these kids think of me? Yes, I do. You think about this. When you get old, these kids, when I get old, they're going to be running the country. Yeah. Now, this is the thought that wakes me up in the middle of the night. That when I get older, these kids are going to take care of me. I wouldn't count on it. (laughs) Yeah, that's like they should have like had some type of sound drop. Right. Because it's such a shocking. It's a has a potential to really hit you like, wow, he has this assumption that he's going to be taken care of and you keep treating this generation this way, it's going to come back to bite you. That's right. You don't, you're not taking care of them. Right. What's your expectation here? Like, and again, it doesn't mean that you have to be a pushover. Like there is an in-between, like with all these parents that do the drop-off at the beginning, 
there's, you know, there's Claire's dad, who's like a total pushover, who yep. just wants to like not feel guilty about what's going on in their home. And then there's Brian's mom and, and Andy's dad, who's all over them. And then there's being totally ignored. And, and again, what Zen Parenting Radio is about, our other podcast, is that place in the middle. You don't you don't become so permissive that nobody respects you, but you don't become a Vernon yep. where everybody can't stand you. It's like, where's this place in the in-between? And Carl is the wise person yeah. in this movie. He's the janitor pushing a broom. So one of my, another interesting scene, and again, it's all about the edits and the cutaways, is when when Bender is talking, when Carl comes in and Carl says, hey, Brian. Hey, Remember, Brian. and Brian's hey, Brian. embarrassed. How you doing? Yeah, and Brian's embarrassed. Does your dad work here? And then Carl says, you know, how do you get into the janitorial arts or whatever? Mm-hmm. And, you know, Carl's like, knows that Bender's making fun of him, but then gives this speech. Yeah. And they focus on Bender's face. Mm-hmm. And Bender, like, respects him. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Kind of is like, you're right. Yeah. Like, I'm being a jerk, and you're right. You do have more power here than I do. It's kind of a good... Again, those are the moments where you get to know these characters. Can I ask you a question? Sure. How does one become a janitor? You want to be a janitor? No, I just want to know how one becomes a janitor, because Andrew here is very interested in pursuing a career in the custodial arts. Oh, really? You guys think I'm just some untouchable peasant, sir? Peon, you know? Maybe so. Falling a broom around after shitheads like you for the last eight years, I've learned a couple of things. I look through your letters, look through your lockers. I listen to your conversations. You don't know that, but I do. I am the eyes and ears of this institution, my friends. By the way, that clock's 20 minutes fast. Yeah, and then they just cut to Bender, and he's like, oh, and he's I, I, like I like this guy. I like this guy. He can throw it back at yeah. me. Um, and that Carl's the, he's the oily bohunk from 16 Candles. <laughs> Isn't he? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, my God. I See, I just think of him in the scene in Weird Science at the bar. Right. He's in all, yeah, he's great in that, too. Yeah. Even though, why is he at that bar? Uh, he's just a patron. I know he is, but like the crew that's there at that bar. Just a very interesting crew. I know. It is a very, that's the the best scene from Weird Science. For is sure. Is that scene at the bar. Well, it's because Anthony Michael Hall just brings it. And the way he does when they smoke pot in, you know, Breakfast Club. <laughs> Fast man. Let me tell you my story, man. Last year, I was insane for this crazy little eighth grade bitch. Okay, is it insane? Insane? Crazy? I was nuts for the woman, man. Now, you got to believe me. I'm saying, I'm telling the truth here. I'm speaking to you. I mean, I was nuts for the girl. That's the truth, baby. Why? I called every night for like a month. I mean, I'm talking devotion, man. Every damn night? Every night, Mitch. I ain't playing with you. On the telephone? (laughs) This boy talking about on the telephone, man. Explain it, What the hell? we know there's a telephone, boy. What the hell thing I'm doing? <laughs> but he hung up on her. Oh, God. That's a great scene. Uh, and it's a hor- It's like for 2021, it is not an appropriate right. scene. No. But when we were young, that Anthony Michael Hall 
would do certain things like that, and it made people laugh. Um, but yes, so but Carl is in that scene. Real quick about Anthony Michael Hall. Stanley Kubrick watched Breakfast Club four times and was impressed by Anthony Michael Hall's performance. He compared Hall to a young Spencer Tracy. Yeah. Kubrick Kubrick wanted to cast him in the lead role of Full Metal Jacket. Private Joker in his upcoming film Full Metal Jacket, but after months of negotiation, Hall turned down the offer. And it went to Matthew Modine. I've only seen Full Metal Jacket once, Ooh. so I don't remember what that. Oh, I've seen that movie a million times. What What is that character? Uh, he's the lead. Oh, um, he's the lead. Yeah, he Private Joker, and the whole movie is the first half is about basic training and his experience through that, and then the second half is him in Vietnam. So I think Anthony Michael Hall may have mistakenly not worked with Stanley Kubrick. I think he should have probably done you that. You think? Yeah. Like, that's kind of an opportunity coming if you're 16 years old, having mm-hmm. that up. Op- and, and I also, I think, it, it's funny, we were talking about Weird Science <clears throat> and um, Robert Downey Jr.'s and Weird Science, too, and they kind of had an interesting, a similar initial trajectory. They both did Saturday Night Live together, mm-hmm. which is weird. They were both, you know, in that group. And then they both, you know, as people would say lost years. Yeah. They lost decades because they both uh, had some drug addiction issues. And I think they lost, and again, obviously Robert Downey Jr. has come back very strong and good and is Iron Man and created the Marvel Universe, so Yeah, he's he turned fine. out okay. Um, but Anthony Michael Hall missed his window. Oh, I know. He And he was on Saturday Night Live, but they didn't use him at all. Uh-uh. Like He was such a talent. Uh, by the way, Regarding the janitor, Carl, Rick Moranis was originally cast as a janitor. He grew a thick beard and decided to play the character with a Russian accent. John Hughes planned to let Moranis reinterpret the character, but producer uh, vehemently opposed Moranis' comical creative liberties that he had Rick replaced by who ended up playing it. I'm glad he did, because that's not who that's supposed to be. I love Rick Moranis, though. I love, do you? I think, yeah. I mean, who knows if it would have been any better, but I've what never... What do you love Rick Moranis in? Strange Brew. Oh. Oh, my God. It's great. And Parenthood. Parenthood is probably the only thing I love Ghostbusters. No, I don't like him in Ghostbusters. Oh, He's so I annoying just, in Ghostbusters. He's so funny in Ghostbusters. Uh, don't get me started on Rick Moranis. I'm a big fan. Honey, sweet. I Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, I didn't get into that movie. Yeah, I kind of just didn't get the whole Rick Moranis thing. I liked him in um, Parenthood, and mm-hmm. I that character seemed like a good fit for him. Yeah, but I just didn't, you know. Anyway, so um, so we like Carl, and we like um, that. I like the way he is portrayed this way because then he's kind of the wise one. I can't let this. Um, I can't do pop culturing without talking about my favorite line, which I think you know what it is. Okay. Do you know what it is? I don't. When you grow up, mm. your heart dies. Who cares? I care. Yeah, of course Allison would know that. And I I get reactive when I think of that line because I don't want my heart to die, but I know sometimes I'm like, you know, it's 8 o'clock on a Saturday night and I'm getting tired because I had one beer and I want to watch a Netflix show and that's my, the entirety of my Saturday night. And I just think of us when we were in our teens and 20s like we were just had this passion for life and now we're like i get excited about watching a netflix show with you but you know what what did you do during the day i feel like that's very i feel like we can't even we can't 
what did I, as an older adult? I, I guess, no. What I mean is that we can't even compare ourselves to teenagers and be like, because they can stay up all night and party and be together and talk and all that, we well, are. These kids our can sleep died. till noon. Correct. I'm lucky if I could sleep till 7 30. But what did you do during the day? You, you know, you run a men's organization, we do a podcast to help people. Um, I know, but all that stuff is like fine, but it's just more boring. Well, to. Is it really like Todd? If, if I right get excited now, about cleaning out the garage now, I know, but that's how it's supposed to be. Like if right now, I was like, guess what? There's a party where you, you pay ten dollars at the door at Lakeview Links, and we can drink all night. I'm in. No, except you're not. except I'll like be really tired after my fourth drink. Right, and do you love that I say ten dollars. Yes, is it ever ten? And I love that you just said Lakeview Links. <laughs> Everybody's like, what is that place? <laughs> so I guess my point is, is that. Like, I don't want to We don't want to do that. Right. But there's this romantic sure. part of me sure. that wants to have the energy that I had when I was in my 20s. And even though this is a, a good debate to have, that's not what Allison's talking about. What Allison's talking about is when you grow up, you stop caring about other people and you stop caring about things that matter. And she's talking about her parents who are basically numbed out and don't give a crap about her. Yeah. She's listening to the story about Andy and Bender and everybody. She's like... Dudes, I'm scared to death that because the question before that is, are we going to become our? I think uh, Andy says it. He says, "Oh my God, are we going to become our parents? Are we going to become our parents?" And they all, they're all like, and Claire's not, like me. "Not me." Yeah. And Allison's like, "It's unavoidable." Yeah. And it the just happens. The truth is, is I know people and work with some people and talk to some people where that has happened. Do you For know sure. what I mean? But could their heart open back up? Yes. And do. You and I do things on a daily basis to make sure we're never going to have the heart of a 16-year-old sure. again. But do we try to stay alert? We were just having a great conversation with our middle daughter last night mm -hmm. about a conversation she was having with someone that this person was kind of saying things to her about being a realist. Yeah. And you have to be a realist. And really, the, the this person's take on realism was pessimism, yeah. which is life sucks. You have to live with regret. This is horrible. And my daughter was kind of trying to take the side of optimism yeah. and saying, but how do you know it's going to suck? And why do you think that you can't handle that? And and she was saying that this other person was saying things like, oh, God, you're ridiculous, mm -hmm. kind of rolling her eyes. Yeah. And so what I said to my daughter was, you know, there's a place in between where you're an optimistic realist, yeah. where optimism does not mean everything is beautiful and shiny and, and new. Optimism is... You see the dark in the world. You know bad things happen. You know that scary things happen, and you know things. Life is light and dark yeah. all the time. But you are optimistic about the fact that you can get through it, that you have what it takes to manage it, and that you will appreciate the joy and the good moments. That's the the optimism isn't a Pollyanna ish optimism. Well, and what and I think I've shared this on the podcast in the past, but <clears throat> as I understand it. The difference between pessimism and optimism is they've actually done studies and pessimists actually have a better, clear view of what reality is really like. So that's like the bad news. But the good news is the optimists are the ones who change, that change the, world. the world. Correct. Those are the ones that see the possibilities. And if our world is run by pessimists, then God save us. But but if we can get our world to be run by the optimists then I think that's pretty damn good. And I would even, just thinking about interpersonal neurobiology, I would debate that research and say, pessimists see the world as they think it is, and then they experience the world that way. Yeah. Again, it's, it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy. An optimist says, 
a real an optimistic realist says I see the way things are happening but I think I can make it better yeah I think I can do something like if if in on the really basic level it's not just about feeding the hungry it's like I don't feel so good and I don't have a sense of mindfulness. I think I'm going to practice meditation mm -hmm. because I would like to see things differently. That is a realist who understands that if you don't meditate or don't practice mindfulness, your your life is going to feel like one big blur and you yeah. won't have groundedness and present. But pessimism and just saying, well, that's the way things work out. Well, then, you know, whatever you see, you know, Whatever you think it is is what you're going to experience. Yeah, your lens. Like you will seek out evidence to con it's confirmation to confirm. bias, Correct. right? Correct. Yeah. So, all right. So, where else do we want to go with this? Um, we're an hour and eight minutes in. Yeah, I'm ready to be done. Are you ready um, for some trivia? Yeah, let's. You just throw some I'm stuff. I'm just going to roll it out here one at a time in no particular order. Okay. But first, I want to just play this. So the days float through my eyes, but still the days seem the same. And these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. They're quite aware of what they're going through. So do you know um, why that's the first line that's written in the movie? Do you know who came up with that? I think Ali Sheedy did. That's right. I think we just talked about that. I just assumed it was a John Hughes... Like, I just think of John Hughes as probably being this David Bowie fan, but it was Ellie Sheedy. Good well, for her. So you know how at the beginning of the podcast we talked about the opening? So you've got the opening where you have that amazing drum beat and this great song is about to come on. Then you see all the names as yeah. big as can be. Then you see that quote, you know, and these children that you spit on as they try to change their worlds are immune to your consultations. Mm -hmm. They're quite aware of what they're going through. David Bowie changes. And then the glass shatters and you see the high school yep. and then you hear Brian's voice yeah. because Brian is reading his essay yeah. and then you see all the lockers and then you see, I mean, it's such a great beginning. Think about what you have to do as a movie maker to convey a feel and yes. how hard that is. Yes. And he does it within the first four minutes of the movie. You know, everybody you get, I mean, you don't know because they're showing the lockers and you see Bender's locker. You don't know it's Bender's. You also see Brian's yeah. because there's a gun that went, or you don't know if it's a gun, yeah. but it's something exploded. Yeah. You, he's showing you the people, but you don't know it's the people yeah. yet. Kind of a cool way to introduce the character. Totally. So, um, so yes, I love that. Go on. Uh, Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Ellie Sheedy played high school students in this film the same year they would portray college students in St. Elmo's. Correct. They had a good year there. They sure did. Um, what else do we got here? Let's see. In the early drafts of the script, Claire was called Kathy with a C. Oh, I love that. Really? Why, why'd they change it? I don't know. That would have been cool. Uh, my name is really outdated. Is it? Uh, yeah. Sweetie, but you're not outdated. Do you know anybody naming their children Kathy with a C? Mm, no, but not many Todds out there. I think that's oh, just... Oh, yeah, there are. I was just... How many new Todds do you know? I was just on... Uh, my friend Annie on her... I think it was on her Facebook page, was having a debate over what name is the male Karen... There were a lot of people who said it was Todd. Really? See, there, there you go. The names that they threw out were Matthew, Todd. See, but Matthew's got the biblical thing going on. Like um, Matthew will Chad, never go away. Kevin. Yeah, Chad, Kevin. But you, do you know what I mean by Karen, right? I feel like you're not following me. Uh, tell me. The, so do you, know you know what a Karen is? It's an annoying white... Upper privileged entitled yeah. and then so what's the male version of that mm. like when what do we call the men who do that got it 
I don't think there's enough Todd's. There's a lot of Karens out there. I feel like Todd's not a popular enough name for for Todd to reclaim the male version of Karen. I think Kevin might be. Kevin's Kevin was one of them. Like I said, Kevin, Chad, Matthew, um, Todd were the ones I saw. I'll go the most. with Kevin. I think Kevin is the is the <laughs> male version of Karen. So Kevin's, if you're listening, to sorry, this, no. Um, Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, Molly Ringwald, and Anthony Michael Hall have appeared in at least one episode of this USA show called Psych, our favorite. That's right. So, and we, so the girls, my girls who watch Psych, which is an amazing show, by the way, it's a great family friendly show. Um, but it's not for young kids. It's like more for like middle school and up is that they have a million 80s references and they don't just have the references, they bring on 80s characters. Like Anthony Michael Hall has like a huge role. Ali Sheedy, her name in the show is Yang Mm -hmm. and she's like super scary and my girls still call Ali Sheedy Yang. Yeah, it's hilarious. And it's it's great. Who are the other people you said are in it? Uh, Judd Nelson, Ali Sheedy, Molly Ringwald and Anthony Michael Hall. When was Molly Ringwald in it? I don't know. I, I haven't seen all of them. Our kids have. Okay. Uh, this is a long one, but interesting. The Breakfast Club is the only movie in the John Hughes famed high school trilogy that was rated R. This is complete for language. This is completely for language in an implied off-screen sexual moment. Some would say harassment or assault between Bender and Claire. Amazingly, this movie got an R rating when Sixteen Candles, which also features full-on nudity, an implied rape or harassment scene between Haviland Morris and Anthony Michael Hall. Molly Ringwald dropping the F-bomb and also short, sorts, all other sorts of salty language got a PG. That's shocking to me. Because they have, what's her name, totally naked in the shower in 16 Candles. And think of the party scene. Yes. And think of all the, like, the. It, there's so much in that movie, mm-hmm. um, so much innuendo. Yeah. Um, this goes into the Me Too uh, charges with the movie. Bender spends most of the movie harassing Claire. True. There's even a scene of implied assault or harassment where Bender bites or touches Claire off screen and she kicks him. Yeah. Bender is rewarded for all this bullying by having Claire kiss Bender, giving him her earring and essentially starting a relationship with him. Yeah. Molly Ringwald herself has spoken about this since the onset of the Me Too movement, how disturbed by all of this she is, particularly about the mixed messages this sends to her daughter and the next generation, particularly since The Breakfast Club turned basically in a rite of passage movie for all teenagers of the later generations. Yeah, the, it, this is where, you know, so for those of you who haven't read it, um, Google Molly Ringwald um, essay uh, about John Hughes. Yeah. And she talks very deep about this, how she, when she was going to show her own daughter or daughters, I can't remember if there's one or two, these movies, she really had to do this like deep dive about what do I say about these movies? How do I feel about them? And this is this big discussion about what happens to art when it becomes inappropriate. Right. Like what happens when it ages out and it's no, it as we said before, doesn't age well. Like, do we get rid of it? Do we talk about it? And for me, it's just another opportunity to have more discussion. And that's, and it it, it is of its time. And that doesn't mean that everybody should watch it with no disclaimers. Like the, I think the best thing to do is to have, just like you said, Todd, have the discussions about the movie, how things have changed, why they've changed, and why that experience of having a guy harass you and talk to you about sex and even touch you inappropriate then becomes someone you're interested in. Like that's a great conversation. Yeah, instead of getting rid of the movie, exactly. let's keep the movie and have a discussion. Kind of like when we talked about, we were talking about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and we were talking <laughs> about how bad it was and how mean the adults were. But instead of ditching the movie, yeah. you just talk about 
the, the adults were mean. Along the same lines, Ali Sheedy said in 2020 that she disliked her character Allison's end of the film makeover where Molly Ringwald's Claire transformed Allison's appearance, covering her in blush and eyeshadow, giving her a pink dress and headband to wear. Sheedy didn't like the message it relayed that she had to change herself to get a boy to notice her. Yeah. Sheedy said she and Ringwald petitioned John Hughes to change it to promote a less negative message. She didn't want Claire to put makeup on Allison's face and had hoped that her physical transformation would involve merely slipping off her enormous black sweater and wearing with pride the plain white t-shirt that she had on underneath, but he didn't go for that. So kudos to Allie and yeah. Molly Ringwald. Yeah. Back in the 80s when if girls, if women were going to speak up, they might lose their job. Dude, every movie... Not just the 80s, 70s, let's go back to Greece, is about a woman changing mm -hmm. to make the guy happy yep. and notice her. I mean, that's what the movie She's All That is about. That's what the movie, that's what Pretty in Pink is about. Yep. Um, that's what, um, the you know, Breakfast Club is about. That's even what at the end of 16 Candles, even though Jake's interested in, you know, in Andy, her name's Andy in yeah. 16 Candles. He's interested in her before she's in her big gown yeah. for the wedding. Like, that's not why he cares about her. But she can't just be, show up as, no, her name's Samantha. Who's Andy, Andy is pretty in pink. Oh, yeah. Her name's Samantha in 16 Candles. I know. Um, well, people think of these movies as a trilogy. Like, hmm. a lot of people think of them as, like, the Molly Ringwald one big movie. Got you it. know, 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink. Hmm. Um, so that's why we're confused. Judd Nelson improvised the part uh, at the closing of the film where he raises his fist in defiance. He was supposed to just walk into the sunset, and John Hughes asked him to play around with a few actions. When he was done and they were finishing up, Nelson threw his fist up without running it by anyone. That's kind of cool. And it works perfectly with the song. It does. It does. Um it was originally suggested that uh, there would be several sequels to this movie. Oh. And by the way, this is I'm getting all this off IMDb, so I don't know if it's true or not. Occurring every 10 years in which the it kind of sounds a little bit like um, that movie Boyhood that that yes, I love so much. Yes, yes, that's cool. In which Breakfast Club would get back together. They did not come to pass due to the volatile relationship between John Hughes and Judd Nelson. And then it goes on to talk about how Judd was just not an easy guy to work with. Yeah, I've heard similar. Um, I don't know if this is any good, but I'll say it anyways. Only Claire was supposed to dance originally, but Molly felt uncomfortable dancing alone. So John Hughes had the entire cast scene. What do you think of the music montage dancing thing? Well, to me, that that scene doesn't make a ton of sense. It makes sense... Molly Ringwald dancing to that mm -hmm. song because it's like a big time like um, poppy um, girls song, right? Yeah. Even though the words are like kind of verbatim yeah. for the, I think it's called We Are Not Alone yeah. and it's perfect for the movie. But the way Molly Ringwald's dancing is how we danced in the 80s. So if you ever want to show your daughters or your sons for that matter how girls danced, it's how she danced. The the fact that and, and and I love at the end when Allison does that thing and yeah. goes down to the ground. That's perfect to her character. But do you think John Bender would dance to that song? Um, it was a very kind of like aggressive, violent dance interpretation, right? right? He was like all like huge movement and banging his head and all that, wasn't it? And he? then Andy's like playing air guitar, but there's no guitar in that song. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I do. And I don't remember what Brian's doing. I think he's just kind of flipping records, and I think he puts it on. Doesn't it? Yes. Isn't Brian DJing? Yes. So again, another thing that '80s movies had to have were montages, and this movie has two montages: yep. one when they're running down the hallway, and that great Wang Chung song is playing. Uh, I think "Fire in the Twilight" it's okay. called, 
that's a great montage and they're they're just trying to figure out how to get away from Vernon and then this dance scene I think is to encapsulate the fact that now they get they're kind of a, a crew now yeah you know what I mean um Ali Sheedy nicknamed Anthony Michael Hall Milk and Cookies because she thought he was sweet and he never liked that nickname I can't imagine why I don't know Milk and Cookies I think I there's worse nicknames out there than that one I guess but if you're like a 16 year old guy is that how you want people to think about you no you want to sound dangerous milk and cookies doesn't quite do that right um there's a bunch of other stuff but i don't know how good it is so um i think that i have gone through everything on my list i got something okay last thing okay so i just googled because when i thought of the song that we started with the simple mind song movies that are so closely aligned to their songs or songs with their movies and there's 35 of them and I'm not going to go over them, but are there any songs from movies? When you think of this song, you immediately think of the movie or vice versa. Because I got a bunch of them. Sympathy that... for the Devil. For what movie? No, no, not Sympathy for the Devil. Um, what's the Rolling Stones song that's in Goodfellas? Oh, uh, yes, I know that one. That's not on my list, but I totally agree with you. It's because Scorsese uses that all the that's time. That's what I mean. But I always think about the scene where all those it's people are dead in the away. car. It's yeah. just a shot away. Yeah, he also used it in Casino, didn't he? Uh, he's used it, I think, three times. He's um, just a but big that's fan. Stones, right? Yes, it is. Okay. Where people are like, how do you not know that song? It's, um, <laughs> which rolling? Give me shelter. Give me that's shelter. It. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you want me to just run through some of these? Oh, my God. He used give me shelter in Goodfellas, The Departed. And Casino. Yeah. Okay, keep going. Um, obvious. Footloose. Yeah, Footloose. And Footloose, they play the song more than once. Yeah, in the it's movie. that good. It's. <laughs> uh, I Will Always Love You. Yes. Yeah, uh, The Bodyguard. Staying Alive. Um, Staying Alive is uh, is Saturday Night Fever. But hold on, before you go on, let me, There's there's got to be like a Top Gun one, right? Uh, there is a Top Gun one. Is it Take Your Breath Away? Yes. Good job, sweetie. Take my breath away? Yep. Do you take your or my? It says take my breath away. Okay. I'm just trying to think of 80s movies where songs were so... Okay, keep going. I won't I won't spend time thinking. Somewhere Over the Rainbow. Uh, Wizard of Oz. Uh, Wind Beneath My Wings. Beaches. What a Feeling. Uh, Flashdance. Had the Time of My Life. D- Dirty Dancing. Hakuna Matata. Uh, Lion King. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Mary Poppins. When Doves Cry. Prince, that would be Purple Rain, which Todd didn't know the first line of When Doves Cry. Nobody knows the first line. Sweetie, everybody knows the first line. Whatever. You you know the first line, sweetie. <laughs> Eye of the Tiger. Rocky Three. Let It Go. Frozen. Uh, Mrs. Robinson. Uh, the Graduate. Uh, Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. Uh, my Heart Will Go On. Uh, that would be Titanic. There you go. So those are... Yeah, that sounds like a pretty solid list. And I would say The Simple Minds is is amongst this. For sure. Would you say? So anyways. And I think it's funny because... Did you like Simple Minds in high school? No. Okay, so... I like that song, but no, I didn't. I have a few Simple Mind songs still on my playlist, and they didn't... That song was kind of poppy for them. Mm-hmm. Like they had kind of a different... Um, I always like that song. It's called All the Things She Said. Uh, All the things she said, she said. I don't it's know. got a great beginning, and then at the end, it's got this drum thing. I, it's, I just, I, why didn't I learn to play the drums? I don't know. It's not too late. When you grow up, your heart doesn't have to die. Sweetie. True. I should start playing drums because th- when you, like you said, it just wakes you up. And there's this great, 
thing in that movie that or in that song that so everybody should download that song by Simple Minds. Not the Breakfast Club song, but all the things she said. That's right. Um, do you want to do a few more quotes here or no? Um, only if you think they're You're a gutless turd. Necessary. For better hallway vision. Look at him. He's a bum. Oh boy, Vernon. Not good. I'm winning because I got strength and speed. Oh, that's Andrew. Okay, that's that scene is the most ridiculous scene in the movie. Andy and um, Allison are walking down the hallway. They're going to get pop. Mm-hmm. And or soda, depending yeah. on where you live. And he says, you know, I think he says, what's your poison or something? Yeah. And she says vodka, which is the first line she's uttered in the whole movie. Oh, nice. Which is funny. Yeah. And then she's and he said, you drink vodka when? Whenever. Yeah. And then she says, you know, then they get an argument. She said, why are you here? And he goes into this big speech yeah. about how he's known for being an athlete. What are you doing, Andrew? And she's like, great. Yeah. Like, I love the way she's just like, I'm not even listening yeah. to you. Like, what is that? Who what cares? does that have to do with why you're here? Put that under the category of who cares? Who cares? Not Cherry. When have you ever gotten laid? I've laid lots of times. <laughs> That's the last time, Bender. That's the last time you ever make me look bad in front of those kids. Do you hear me? I make $31,000 a year and I've got a home and I'm not about to throw it away on some punk like you. I've got a home. He's so mad. Um, it, you didn't have Brian's discussion about the girls from the Niagara Falls area. I know. You wouldn't know her. You wouldn't know her. Son? Yeah, Dad? How's your day, pal? Great, Dad. How's yours? Super. Say, son, how'd you like to go fishing this weekend? Great, Dad. But I've got homework to do. That's all right, son. You can do it on the boat. That's pretty funny. So, but it's not, right? It is, but it's not. It's funny. And he totally like just pigeonholes him in the meanest way. In the meanest way. And that's the scene we were talking about where Andy starts to like laugh and yeah, then stops. Right. And the reason that that scene, again, I'm being a therapist here, but that's all John wants. Yeah. Yes, that's what he wants. That's what he wants. And so he's making fun of the thing he doesn't have. And, you know, let's all, like, take a second and think about this. Why do we make fun of the things we make fun of? Sometimes there can be reasons. This is not always, like, a direct shot. Like, sometimes there's things we make fun of because they really are ridiculous. But a lot of times it's the things that we are most uncomfortable with. The yeah. fact that we don't have something. You know, the fact that we make fun of somebody's, like, interesting clothing choices and we're like, oh my God, I would never wear that. It's because you're not bold enough to do it. You're yeah. not strong enough. And he wants to have parents who care about him. And so he makes fun of the fact that Brian has that. Protest too much. Exactly. I don't even count, right? I could disappear forever and it wouldn't make any difference. I may as well not even exist at this school, remember? Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, Andy did say that to him. Yes, he did. And it's a... And what's funny is when Andrew says it in the beginning, you don't really think about it. But then when Bender restates it, it's like, wow, that hit pretty hard. Well, it, he filed it away. Yes. Like, that's did. the thing is we think that words, um, you know, I talk a lot about, I write a lot about words and how words have energy. As Maya Angelou says, words are things and they get into the walls and they get into you. And they, they're, they're not just, you know, we just got out of this four years of a president who didn't understand the power of his words. Mm -hmm. And it was so debilitating for so many of us because we felt the power of his words and his words were never positive or 
98% of the time, right. not positive, for those of you who want to argue with me about, yeah. no, but he said this. And we knew what how destructive those words could be. And people are just say, oh, it's just talk. It's just talk. In Best in Show, she says that. Yeah. We just watch that. Yeah. Oh, it was just talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it, words can change people. Yeah, words are things. Mm-hmm. While Brian's trying to tell me that in addition to the number of girls in the Niagara Falls area, that presently you and he are riding the hobby horse. The hobby horse? I don't remember that quote when I was in high school. I think that... Um, Judd Nelson made up a lot of his, like the, the Z, the Neo Maxi Zoom Dweeby. That was his. What was that ruckus? Oh, uh, what ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? That's pretty funny. I'll do anything. Sex- Are we done? I was gonna say one more because it's not a great sound quality. No, it's not. I'll do anything sexual. I don't need a million dollars to do it. Jeez. Allison's, she is a uh, pathological liar. She sure is. Um, okay, so what's... Last, last thoughts about uh, Breakfast Club? Thank you, John Hughes. Even though it sounds like you were sometimes challenging to work with, uh, he made thank some you for the gifts that you've given to us to enjoy for years and years on end. So that's all I got. Yeah, um, um, same. Samesies? Samesies. I feel like I said all the things. I love this movie, and I'm so glad. I, for those of you who are listening who um, appreciate it as well, I um, go back and watch it again. Yes, and keep trucking, and we'll see you next time on Pop Culturing. Thanks for listening, everyone. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. And feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It helps people find us. Also subscribe to our Zen Parenting Radio podcast, where we discuss self-awareness and mindfulness, sharing the latest research and pop culture. We're on our ninth year, but there's still always something new to discuss. Do you want more Zen Parenting? Check out our third podcast, otherwise known as Team Zen. One of our team members described it as an advice column meets group help meets like-minded community. With your $25 subscription, you get two live Zen Talks with an opportunity to ask us live questions, plus a Facebook community where you can interact or just listen to like-minded parents. If you can't join us live, you can still access all the Zen Talks through the Team Zen podcast app. Interested in inviting us to speak at your conference or organization? Go to zenparentingradio.com and submit a speaker request. And while you're there, check out our upcoming events or you can purchase one of my three books. If you ever shop via Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link under the Support Us link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. And guys, I have a one-on-one coaching practice. It's called Coaching for Guys. You want to achieve a better work-life balance or deepen your relationships with loved ones? We can talk in person, phone, FaceTime, you choose. And don't forget about Tribe Men's Group. We have a virtual community from men all over the world. Head on over to tribemensgroup.org or shoot me an email at todd at zenparentingradio.com. It's an opportunity for guys to come together and talk about what really matters. Finally, I want to give a special thanks to our founding partner, Jeremy Kraft. He's a bald-headed beauty, and the company he has is Avid. They do painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Go to avidco.net or give them a call at 630-956-1800. Thanks for all your love and support, and keep on trucking.